So now you're going to start the 80th part of the uh, Cleges by Crash on the Tree. When this news was announced, Alexander had not forgot his custom of going to see the Queen each evening. The night, too, he had gone tighter and was seated beside the Queen. Sir Damers was sitting alone close by them looking at him with such satisfaction that she would not have exchanged her lot for paradise. Uh, the queen took Alexander by the hand and examined the golden thread which was showing the effects of wear, but the string of hair was becoming more lustrous while the golden thread was tarnishing and she left as she happened to recall that the embroidery, embroidery was the work of Sir Damers. Alexander noticed this and begged her to tell him, if suitable, why she left. The queen was slow to make a reply and, looking toward Sir Damers, bade her come to her. Gladly she went and knelt before her. Alexander was overjoyed when he saw her draw so near that she, he could have touched her. But he's not so bold as even to look at her, but rather thus he so loses his senses that he's well not speechless. And she, for her part, is so, so overcome that she has not the use of her eyes. But she casts her glance upon the ground without fastening is it upon anything. The queen marvels greatly at seeing her now pale, now crimson, and she notes well in her heart the bearing and expression of each of them. She notices and thinks she sees that these <coughs> changes of color are the fruit of love. But not wishing to embarrass, embarrass them, she pretends to understand nothing of what she sees. In this she did well, for they gave no evidence of what was in her mind beyond saying, look here themselves and tell us truly what the shirt was sealed that this night has on. And if you had any hand in it or worked anything of yours into it. Though the maiden feels some, some shame, yet she tells the story gladly, for he, she wishes the truth to be known by him. Who, when he hears her tell of how she, the shirt was made, can hardly restrain himself for joy from worshipping and adoring the golden hair, his companions, and the queen, who were with him, annoy him and embarrass him, for their presence prevents him from raising the hair to his eyes and mouth, and he would fain have done had he had he not thought that it would be remarked. He is glad to have so much of this lady, 
but she does not hope or expect ever to receive more from her. His very desire makes him dubious. Yet, when he has left the queen and is by himself, he kisses it more than a hundred thousand times, feeling how fortunate he is. All night long, he makes much of it, but is carefully that no one shall see him. As he lies upon his bed, he finds a vain delight and solace in what can give him no satisfaction. All night he presses the shirt in his arms, and when he looks at the golden hair, he feels like the lord of the whole world, wide world. Thus love makes a fool of this sensible man who finds his delight in a single hair and is in ecstasy over its possession. But this charm, this charm will come to an end for him before the sun's bright down. For the traders are met in council to discuss what they can do and what their prospects are. To be sure, they will be able to make a long defense of the town if they determine so to do. But they know the king's purpose to be so firm and he'll not give up his efforts to take the town so long as he lives. And when time comes, the needs must die. And if they should surrender the town, they need expect no mercy for doing so. Thus either outcome looks dark indeed. For they see no help but only death in either case. But this decision at last is reached, that the next morning, before dawn appears, they shall issue secretly from the town and find the camp disarmed, and the knights still sleep in their beds. Before they wake and get their armor, or there will have been such a laughter done that posterity we always speak of the battle of that night. Having no further confidence in life, the traitors as the last resort also describe to this design, despairing boldened them to fight, whatever the result might be. For they see nothing sure in store for them save death and imprisonment. Such an outcome is not attractive, nor do they see any use in flight, for they see no place where they could find refuge should they betake themselves to flight, being completely surrounded by the water and their enemies. So they spend no more time in talk, but arm and equip themselves and make a sally by an old postern gate towards the northwest that being the site where they thought the camp would less, least expect attack. In serried ranks, they sailed forth and divided their force into five companies, each consisting of 2,000 well-armed foot, in addition to a thousand knights. That night, neither star nor moon had shed a ray across the sky. But before they reached the tents, the moon began to show itself, and I think it was to work them woe 
that she rose sooner than was its wont. Thus God, who opposed their enterprise, illuminated the darkness of the night, having no love for this evil man, but rather hate For God hates traitors and treachery more than any other sin. So the moon began to shine in order to hamper their inter enterprise. They are much hampered by the moon as it shines upon their shields, as and they are handicapped, handicapped by their helmets. Two, as they glitter in the moonlight, they are detected by the pickets keeping watch over the host, who now shout throughout the camp, Up, knights, up, rise quickly, take your arms and arm, arm yourselves. The traitors are upon us. Through all the camp, they run to arms and hastily strive to keep themselves in the urgent need, but not a single one of them left his place comfortably armed and mounted upon their steeds. While are they are arming themselves, the attacking forces are eager for battle and press forward, hoping to catch them off their guard and find them disarmed. They bring up from different directions the five companies into which they had divided their troops. Some hug the woods, others follow the river, the third company deploys up on the plain, while the fourth enters a valley. And the fifth proceeds beside a rocky cliff, for they planned to fall upon the tents suddenly with a great fury. But they did not find the path clear, for the king's men resist them, defying them cordially and reproaching them for their treason. Their iron lance tips are splintered and shattered as they meet. They come together with swords drawn, striking each other and casting each other down upon the face. They rush upon each other with the fear of lions which devour whatever they capture. In this first rush there was heavy laughter on both sides. When they can no longer maintain themselves, help comes to the traders who are defending themselves bravely and selling their lives dearly. So guys, now I'm finished the 18th part and I'm gonna record the 9th one in the next episode, okay? Bye-bye!